Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Before I start the message this morning, just a reminder. Saturday, July the 21st, very special evening. We have planned in the history of our church to try to just help us reach some goals with our building project. And so we would just like to invite all of you and encourage all of you here at the Oasis to mark that date down and be a part of that evening. All the information is back there on the table. You can take the flyer with you. Um, it, it gives you pretty much all the basic information of that evening. Um, we would also encourage you to invite people outside of the Oasis Church family to be a part of that evening. Uh, it's it's going to be a great night of food, of fellowship, great fun. Um, it's going to be laid back just like we're here at the Oasis, nothing formal. Uh, it's going to have a Hawaiian theme, so we're encouraging people to wear, you know, something Hawaiian if they have it. There's going to be Hawaiian music. It's a Hawaiian menu. It's just going to be a really fun evening on Saturday, July the 21st. So uh, please join us. Again, please make sure that you get those flyers back there. They've got all the information, how you contact, how you make the reservations, and all of that. But we're already announcing it because we want you to use the month of June and early July before we, you know, sort of close it out to, uh, to begin to not only put that date uh, in your heads, uh, but also to give you time to invite other people to come and be a part of that night with you. I hope today, because we usually do, I hope we have a very energetic and enthusiastic crowd here this morning. Because part of it is being enthusiastic and energetic this morning. You see, in the passage we're going to look at a couple different places in the book of Ephesians. God is encouraging us to... uh, enthusiastic acknowledgement of, first of all, who the Holy Spirit, who He is, and then an enthusiastic participation in who we are as the people of God. I just want to read verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1 as we get going here this morning. Paul says to the Ephesians, and when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So it started with us hearing the message of God. Then it went on to us actually believing in Christ and putting our confidence and trust. And when we became a believer in Jesus Christ, there are three things that the Holy Spirit does for us who He becomes for us. First of all, you and I were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession. And then notice that last phrase there in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. That phrase was first introduced to us actually at the end of verse 12 of Ephesians 1. Where Paul also says, to the praise of his glory. Then if you go over to chapter 3 and verse 21, you see that all that God does is to sort of result in the glory of God being seen where? 
in the church, in the church. And it's all talking about enthusiastically acknowledging some things in our life. Are you ready to get enthusiastic today? All right. All right. Well, that's a good beginning. I'm hoping we, you know, can hear some, some amens and praise the Lord's and, and yay God's and, and, and whatever. Because we should be enthusiastically acknowledging the things that, the truths that God has laid down for us here. I want us to look at real quickly this morning, out of verses 13 and 14, three things about the Holy Spirit that we should enthusiastically acknowledge. And if you take notes or all of that and you want to sort of keep you know, track of the message, here it is. We should enthusiastically acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is because He is the seal, He is the promise, and He is the down payment. That's not all that the Holy Spirit is, but that those are the things that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has recorded for us here. And they are certainly worthy of enthusiastically acknowledging. Let's start with the seal. We've heard this before, and it bears repeating, as God does here in the book of Ephesians, that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our life. In other words, as Paul said, when you and I heard the message of the gospel... And then we believed in it. We put our faith, our trust, our confidence in Christ, the Christ of the gospel. Then we are marked with a seal. What was a seal? Well, this was especially um, used in in olden times and in ancient times, much more significantly than it's used now. Uh, It was a mark of authenticity. Uh, It was a mark of ownership saying, you know, this belongs to me. This is mine. This is my possession. And therefore, it is under my protection. Think about that when you think about the fact that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's as if God is saying to us every day, because the Holy Spirit lives in us every day, you're mine. You're you're my possession. You belong to me. And therefore, I'll look out for you. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I take responsibility for you. I have sealed you with my Holy Spirit. That's why he says, shouldn't we wake up every day with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, realizing I belong to God? And God watches out for me. No wonder then, Paul said, to the praise of His glory. Let's enthusiastically acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is. He is, first of all, the seal of our life. One time this is sort of used in a secular way in the Bible was surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. Whenever they laid Him in the tomb and the Roman authorities sealed it with a Roman seal. They were saying, we're going to put a guard over that tomb. We're going to watch it. We're going to protect it. It's now our responsibility. And of course, you know that even in those days, the Roman empire, as powerful as it was, 
could not ultimately keep Jesus in that tomb. And so it reminds us that anything that we trust in for our protection or ultimate security and stability cannot ever do for us what the Holy Spirit, the seal of God, can do for us. Because as the seal of God, the Holy Spirit, He goes with us everywhere. He lives inside of us. Therefore, there's never a place in our life where God is not with us because He is in us and He is watching over us and He's protecting us. This is who the seal of God is. And that's why Paul said, every time we think of the Holy Spirit as the seal of God in our life, we should enthusiastically acknowledge that truth. Then the second thing Paul says, the Holy Spirit is not only the seal, he is the promised Holy Spirit, the promise. When God makes a promise, he announces with certainty something that he's going to do ahead of time. That's what a promise is. And I love the fact that with God, it's, I can announce this as God with certainty because everything that God promises us is reliable, trustworthy, and dependable because he's God. He does not lie. And everything that he says he will do, he has the power and the resources and the wherewithal to be able to carry it out. So think about that in terms of the Holy Spirit. Every day again that you and I wake up with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, it is a reminder to us of, in a sense, the trustworthiness of the promises of God. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And He was promised to us even in the Old Testament. Read the book of Jeremiah. Read the book of Joel. Two places in the Old Testament where God said, One day I will pour out my Holy Spirit. I will give unto men and women my Holy Spirit. He will dwell within them. And that came true on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And now every believer that hears the message of the gospel and believes in Jesus Christ now has the fulfillment of that promise living within them. And so again, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is a reminder every day that God's promises are true. And that if God promised us his very presence to live within us, and that is taking place right now, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Paul says in Romans, he bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. Then every day we are reassured, we are reminded that God's word is true and God's promises are true. And so Paul says, that should be to the praise of his glory. Let's enthusiastically acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is. He's not just the seal of God. He is the very promise of God. Living in our lives. Yes, amen to that. And then Paul says, he's also the down payment. The guarantee from God himself that there's more to come for you and I as believers. You see, it's great that we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us and all the wonderful blessings that come to us because we heard the message and therefore we believed in Christ and we are now children of God who have the Holy Spirit living within us. And, and I think, think of it this way. 
the Holy Spirit is sort of our first taste of heaven. Because he is the guarantee of more to come. That, that all that God has promised us about our future, about going and preparing a place for us, and then coming again so that he can receive us and take us to be where he is. A place where there's no more death and mourning and all of these things of earth that will one day pass away. The Holy Spirit living within us is that guarantee that all that is coming our way is going to happen. And it's going to happen as exactly as God said. And that you and I wake up every day, again with the presence of the Holy Spirit as the down payment of God, that there's so many more wonderful things coming our way. In fact, things that are more so wonderful that the Bible says they can't even be compared with anything of earth. Paul says to the Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this world that we go through, not to minimize them at all, but to just have them in comparison to what awaits. He says, I, I consider that the sufferings of this earth are not even worthy to be compared to the glory one day that you and I will be a part of. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that therefore our light affliction, which is but for a moment on earth, is working for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul says, can you imagine what awaits us? And that the presence of the Holy Spirit as the down payment of God is a reminder to us that the best for us is yet to come. We always can wake up every day looking into the future with something great to look forward to because the best for us hasn't come yet. As wonderful as it is to be a child of God and to have all the blessings that go with being a child of God on earth, it's not even going to compare when we get to heaven and we leave these earthly human natures behind and we get these glorified bodies and, and we are able to fellowship with God face to face and all the saints of all time with God for all of eternity in a perfect place. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. But let me just digress for just a moment this morning because it's certainly relevant with what you and I have seen play out here in the last couple of weeks of our society with all of these celebrity suicides. It doesn't surprise me that the world sort of is always surprised when people who seemingly have everything the world could have and could offer them does this to themselves. Because again, from the worldly perspective, isn't that what we're all supposed to live for? Just grab all that the world has? So, so when someone in the world has power and position and, and, and they have all these things that the world can, they're, they're rich, they're, they're famous, they have all these things and yet they're not happy, they're not fulfilled, they're not satisfied, they live in hopelessness. How can they do that? This should never come as a surprise to us as Christians. Because if we know God and we know the Word of God, then we know that the Bible teaches us over and over again. The things of the world will never bring that kind of happiness or joy or satisfaction. 
then it is only found in a relationship with God. And that you and I can have the whole world and yet lose our own soul. And what we are seeing play out in our own society and around the world with the rise of suicide is simply the obvious result of ignoring God and saying, I don't need God. I don't even believe in God. And we will feed everything in our life but our spirit. We make sure that we are fed very much physically and materially. We make sure that we've got everything materially and physically around us, but we neglect and ignore filling our spirit. And when that happens, folks, that's exactly the result of it. When our spirit has nothing in it, and all that we have in our life is what the world can offer us, this is what happens. And they have nothing to look forward to. That's why even in our own society today, and even amongst Christians, it's so sad, they are always looking back. Because for them, the best was yesterday. So we always revert back, even in our fads, and the way people dress, and all that, and and the music and stuff. It's always going backwards, because those are the fond times. Those, those were the best times. We, we always want to look back because even for many Christians, because they don't understand the down payment of the Holy Spirit, like, there's not much to look forward to in the future. So for them, there's nothing good about the future. But for us as Christians, it should never be that way. Because we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit who guarantees us so much more to come. Every day we wake up, we should go, God, thank you that I know you, that I'm alive, that I have another day of living. But God, I can't wait because I know the best is yet to come for me. Because one day all has not been revealed, but I know this based upon your word and upon your promise that one day when I see Jesus, I will be like him for I will see him as he is. And I will touch the face of the one who made me. And I will experience things that I can't even imagine. So no wonder Paul says, should Should we not enthusiastically acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is in our life? He's the seal of God in our life. And he's so much more than that. Paul says he's also the down payment and he's also the promise of God. Let me speak for a few moments before we move on to the next passage we're going to look at this morning. At how to honor the Holy Spirit. How do I honor the Holy Spirit in my life? Let me give you three words, and then I'll just make a few comments about each of these. The first is recognition. The second is communication. And the third is participation. This is how you and I honor God. Recognition, communication, and participation. We sort of even sang about it today and that, that part of that last song about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about you, as, but not like you're not here. That, that's how we honor God. You see, how would we feel if we were in a room and we were invisible? 
It's like there were other people there, but no one greeted me. No one said anything to me. Uh, no one acknowledged my presence. No one came up to me at all. Well, folks, many times, whether we are conscious of it or not, that's what we do with the Holy Spirit because He lives within us. And it's like we can go through our entire day, maybe even a whole week, maybe even a whole month, and it's almost like we don't even recognize He's there. One way to honor the Holy Spirit is always recognizing His presence in our life. Acknowledging Him, if you will. You know, and not in a sense even taking His presence for granted. Well, I know you're there, but I, you know. Which leads to the second way we honor the Holy Spirit is by communication. Talk to the Holy Spirit. He's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. If you can talk to the Father and you can talk to the Son, you can also talk to the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And communication, obviously, is not just a one-way street. It's not just us being able to talk to the Holy Spirit. It's us, and we've learned this already in our study of the Holy Spirit, it's us taking time to listen to the Holy Spirit. Who will prompt and persuade us from within. That's the way you and I honor Him. By communicating with Him. And then finally, we honor the Holy Spirit by participating in the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to participate with Him in. Because again, it's never, okay, God, you've got this. Now I'll just sort of sit back and let you do it all. It's always that God is calling us into a partnership with Him. And we're going to learn in a minute, not just with Him, but with one another. A partnership. That we need to cooperate with God. So... One way we honor Him is when we know the Holy Spirit is saying, Jeff, I want to lead you down this path. We go, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm coming. You know, And we just let Him take us down that path. Holy Spirit, you're, you're wanting me to step up and do that? Okay, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, you don't want me to be a part of that? Okay. That's the way we honor the Holy Spirit. Not just by recognizing His presence in my life. Not just by communicating with Him and listening to Him as He communicates with us. But also by participating in the things that He wants me to participate in. And not participating in the things He doesn't want me to be a part of. And speaking of participation, that leads to the second passage we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, I want to pick up the flow of Paul's thought beginning in verse 18. Please follow along with me. And as we do, here's another reminder that in the context here, Paul is blowing away the Gentile Christians by reminding them that, that God now, uh, in this age, takes the Gentiles and the Jews and forms them into one body to His glory. So that it's not the Jewish Christian church and the Gentile Christian church that all of us come together as one. And then he goes on to say this, verse 18, so that through Him we both have access, both Jew and Gentile, in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
to the Father. So again, we are being reminded here by Paul that you and I as Christians, because we've heard the gospel and we believed in Jesus Christ, we now have direct access by the Holy Spirit to the Father. We can have intimate face-to-face interaction with our Heavenly Father. In a sense, the Holy Spirit grants us an audience with the Father anytime we want. And then he goes on to say this. So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Again, if you like outlines or want to sort of construct some kind of some kind of organization to my thoughts, because that's hard to do sometimes. Three things. Just like we should enthusiastically acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is because He's the seal of God, because He's the promise of God, because He's the down payment of God, here God is saying through the Apostle Paul that you and I as believers should enthusiastically participate in who we are. And who we are based upon the fact of the work of the Father, the Son, and especially in our context here, the Holy Spirit, who not only gave us access to the Father, but has now placed us into the body of Christ. And we become three things here to God. First of all, he says, before he says we are God's family in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You are fellow citizens. So the way I shorten it is, we're God's city. We're God's city. We'll talk more about that. Then we're God's family. And finally, he says, we're God's temple. Let's go back to the first. He says, do you realize, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, We are fellow citizens of a kingdom. That Paul says to the Philippians, our citizenship is not just here. Our citizenship is also in heaven from whom we look and wait for a Savior to come back from there. Philippians 3.20 And that we are in a sense now God's city. What's it mean to be a fellow citizen of the kingdom of God? Well, like the nation of Israel was to be in the Old Testament, we now, as the church, are to be evidence of the rule of God in our lives. That's what it means to be a fellow citizen of the kingdom. That a kingdom can't be a kingdom without a king. And our king as a church and our king as individual Christians is King Jesus. And therefore, as fellow citizens of his kingdom, every day as a church and as our individual Christian, our lives should be evidence that we have a king. And that we follow him. He's our master. He's our ruler. He calls the shots. We are simply his subjects. And we are following our king who loves us every day and has our very best interests 
at his heart. And let me also say this. Being fellow citizens of the kingdom of God also means, again, that you and I are part of something that is eternal. Because God's kingdom is always going to be. We will rule and reign with Christ, Revelation said, forever. That the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And do you realize that every kingdom on this earth will one day pass away, including the kingdom of the United States of America? No kingdom lasts forever. Think of the, those of you that are, love history, like I love history. You study history. Think of all the great kingdoms of the world that no longer are, including the Roman Empire, including the Greek Empire, including the Persian Empire. You name them, they just kept disappearing. Because no kingdom, no matter what kingdom on earth we are part of, lasts forever. You and I as fellow citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we get to be part of something that is forever, that will never end. Are we enthusiastically participating in being a citizen of God's kingdom every day? And by the way, just like the second one, these things happen automatically when you and I trust Christ as our Savior. We are automatically a citizen of the kingdom from God's perspective. And therefore, we should act like it every day. Secondly, notice he goes on to say, oh, and you are also members of God's household. Therefore, you are members of God's family is what it means. You're not just a fellow citizen of the kingdom. You're also now a member of the family, which means not only through the spirit can we say to God, the father, Abba, father. It also means that you and I, as members of God's family and God's household, have brothers and sisters in Christ. That we now are related to each other through the blood of Jesus Christ, that there is a bond between us. And again, let me say this. That means if you're truly a Christian and there is a bond here and we are a family here, that means that you and I have to put up with each other forever. (laughs) And that privilege of being part of God's family, again, to be able to call God the Father, Abba Father, and come before Him and know He loves us so much and He wants to provide and protect for His children. And because we've already been marked with the seal saying, you're mine, that's all great. But He also wants us to start realizing this isn't just a vertical thing about being a member of God's family. It's also a horizontal thing. And that God now wants me to realize I've got brothers and sisters. I've got family members. I'm part of a family. I belong. I belong in the family of God. No Christian should ever feel like they don't belong because we belong to God and we belong to each other. And that's why I can look out on you all and say, we're family. We do this together because that's who God says we should be. And that every day I should enthusiastically participate in being part of God's family. That leads to the third thing we see in this passage. And that's, we're also called to enthusiastically participate in being God's temple. 
But notice in contrast to the first two, which automatically take place in my life the moment I trust Christ as my Savior. I automatically become a citizen of his kingdom. I automatically become a member of his household. In the third one, that's not something that happens automatically. It's something that God says he has to grow us into. Did you see that there in those verses? He says, Paul says to the Ephesian creatures, he says, you're being built together into something that grows into a holy temple. So we don't automatically become a holy temple as a community of believers. It's something that God wants to do in our midst. But notice something here. This is really important. He does it by building us together. And then you'll notice down a few verses later, he talks about joining us together. Can I tell you what those terms mean? Because some of us need to hear it and be reminded of it. It means to be closely joined together. Not to be so far apart. It means closely together. It's like building a building, like we're building our church over there. One block is laid next to another block. That's pretty close. He says, are you willing to enthusiastically participate in me building this building that I want, this holy temple on earth as a community of believers? And he's talking to a church here. Are you willing to be close to a few other believers? Are you willing for me, God, to place you next to a a certain group of people? And then to fitly frame you, to interconnect you, and I love this, to to very strategically fit you together. See, don't, don't take it lightly. And just like in a building, not all the blocks or bricks in a building are equally, you know, in distance to other bricks. and there, There's some blocks over here that are all together, and there's some blocks over here that are all together. Because you and I aren't going to be equally close to every other block or stone in the building that God's creating. We're going to be closer to others than we are to others. That's okay. Some of you need to understand that because sometimes you, you go, well, well, they're closer to them, but, but I, I'm not as close to them. Well, you're not going to be, none of us are going to be equal distance to one another. But God, if we allow him to, is going to very strategically fit us near certain believers. And he's doing it for his purpose and for his... He has a reason why this block fits well with this block and should fit next to each other. Which is why, again, it should, it should be no small thing what body of believers we fit into. Because that shouldn't be up to us. You'll notice it's not us who fits ourselves into this temple. It is us allowing God through his Holy Spirit to lead us to the church, to the community of believers that he wants us to fit into. And he will literally place us there. And then eventually he will want to place us a little bit closer to some in that building than others. And he will literally very strategically fit us together because there's a reason why he's got this block next to this block. You getting the picture? Isn't it exciting though? When you think again, nothing is by 
accident. It's not by chance. It's by the strategic purposes of God that he does what he does and that he maneuvers certain believers with other certain believers. And again, why is he doing this? Because our growth does not take place in a vacuum, which again explodes the myth out there, even amongst professing Christians, that I can become who God created me to be without being joined closely to other believers, without being part of a community of believers, without being part of a church and engaging in that church and enthusiastically participating in that church because Paul clearly says God grows us as he builds and joins us what? Together. By the way, the word grow here has nothing to do with quantity but quality. Oh, the church needs to hear that today because if you read every church growth book out there today. You go to a church growth conference. You listen to the pastors of these big mega churches and they're trying to encourage these pastors of these small churches. You got to get on the bandwagon and you got to adopt our church growth principles. It's all about numbers. It's all about quantity. It's all about bigger numbers and bigger buildings and bigger facilities. Do you know God never says anything about that? God says, I'm just interested in the quality. Because if you're growing in quality, you will grow in quantity. Because you will be such a community of believers that gets the idea you are a member of God's family, you are a fellow citizen of the kingdom, and you now are enthusiastically participating in God growing this holy temple that he wants to grow here on earth, that that group of people will start attracting other people into that fellowship because they see that there is the dwelling place of the Spirit. They can sense God there. They can sense his presence and his power there. And it won't be attractive to everybody, but to those that really understand God's purpose behind his church, they will be attracted there. But it won't be because simply we're big. It is going to be because they see a quality there that only God, by the way, can produce. Because you'll notice he goes on to say, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Only God can do this. Only God. And God wants to grow us into that holy temple. And he does it, Paul says again, by joining us together, block by block, brick by brick. So that, he says, the ultimate result is that we can become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wait a minute. Pastor, I I thought the Holy Spirit is God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Yeah. And I thought you've said, and the Bible says that, As a Christian, I I have the Holy Spirit living within me always. Yeah. But here he's talking to a community of believers. He's talking to a church in Ephesus. And he's saying God also wants to take all of you as individuals with all of your diversity and all this. And he wants to grow you and build you into a holy temple. Something only God can do. And he's doing it so that we can become a dwelling place of God. A suitable dwelling place of God and Spirit. What's he mean? He means that you and I will become a place 
where the Holy Spirit can finally settle down and be at home, where he can move, where he can work, where he can minister, where he can refresh, where he can encourage, where he can strengthen, where he can comfort, where he can do what he wants to do without being hindered, without being stifled, without being rejected, without being refused. That's what God means when he says, I want to build you into a dwelling place in the spirit where God's spirit is not only here, we not only sense his spirit here, but where we allow the spirit to do what the spirit wants to do. Not necessarily what you and I want, but what the spirit wants. And God says, I need to grow you into that because you don't automatically become that when you're a Christian. And the way I grow you into that is by you being willing to be joined and built together with other Christians so that I can strategically place you next to other believers so that through your mutual contact with each other, you can mutually support and strengthen each other so that you're doing it, but I'm doing it through you. And we're all sort of doing this together and you're growing into this quality temple in the Lord. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what God's up to. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, as he's saying to us, as much as we need to enthusiastically acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit and who he is in our life as the seal, the promise, and the down payment, he says you as Christians also need to enthusiastically participate in who you are because you are citizens of the kingdom. You are members of God's family. And God is growing you into his temple. A city, a family, and a temple. All by the way, Ephesians 3.21, all of this results in what? Glory to God in the church. Can I get some enthusiastic acknowledgement today? So guess what? We're going to spend the next few moments allowing God to grow us and to be the family and the church and all of that to one another as we even say to the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? What part do you want me to play? Where do you want my block or the brick of my life to be in this building that you are growing and that you are building? Would you stand with me? Father, I pray today that your spirit would be released in this place. That God, we as the Oasis Church would truly become a dwelling place for your spirit. I believe that that's why you led me to this series of messages on your Holy Spirit. It was because before we even got out of Basha High School and we entered our own facility, that you wanted us to become then, right here, right now, a dwelling place for your Holy Spirit. And God, we do believe that your Holy Spirit is moving and ministering in our church. We have sensed that in these last couple of months through this series. And God, I pray that it would continue. And even here today, God, that we would not stifle, hinder, resist what your Holy Spirit wants to do. But God, that we would say, yes, Holy Spirit, we'll partner with you. 
Whatever that is, I trust you, Holy Spirit. You're my seal. You're the promise. You're the down payment of God in my life. Holy Spirit, I'm going where you where you want me to go. And then as a church, can we all agree together today to say to God that God, we want your spirit to come and settle in here and be at home amongst us. We want the Oasis Church not just to be a bunch of buildings, not even to be a gathering place of people who who profess to know Jesus as their Savior. But more than that, God, we want the Oasis Church to be a dwelling place, to become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Grow us, God, into that. Grow us into what you want us to be, God, for your glory and your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Listen, before we sing even this morning, I know... Some of you maybe need to make some personal decisions and commitments and choices and all of that. But I'm also very sensitive here this morning, too, to the leading of the Spirit that some of you maybe just need some prayer today. You're going through something, a, a, a season in your life, whatever, and maybe you, you just, you'd like to have some of your brothers and sisters in Christ, a few members of your spiritual family to come alongside of you and pray over you today. Would you just simply raise your hand for just a second? Anyone at all? Thank you. Anyone at all? Just raise your hand. Don't, don't be ashamed. If, you, if some of you saw a hand go up near you, I would just encourage you, enthusiastically participate. Be that member of that family, that brother or sister. Reach out. Be, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be that person that comes alongside your brother and sister in Christ and say, can I encourage you? Can I pray for you? Can I do something for you? That's what God wants to grow us into. Let's let God do his work today.